Jesus told his disciples in Mark chapter 11 and verse number 22, a very simple thing. He said this, have faith in God. Have faith in God. What a great little slogan. What a great verse. What a powerful truth to live by. Have faith in God. If we could have that one thing, I think it would help us. I know it would help us. It would change our life. Have faith in God. The Christian life is a life of faith. It starts with faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That is the foundation of our Christian life. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It all begins with faith. Romans chapter 4 talks about faith. The first five verses, it says this. What shall we say then? That Abraham our fathers pertaining to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of debt, but of grace. Of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christian life begins with faith. It begins with faith in Jesus Christ. It begins with understanding we're a sinner. We don't want to go to hell. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. We put our faith in him for salvation. It begins with faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Salvation is all faith in Jesus and only faith. Our daily Christian living is by faith. Did you notice in Hebrews chapter 11, as you read it, it is talking about by faith and through faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. It's where we are, right? Verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, that's faith, by faith. Verse 2, verse 3, through faith. Verse 4, how's it start? By faith. How's verse 5 start? By faith. Verse 6, but without faith, okay? Verse 7, by faith. Verse 8, by faith. Verse 9, by faith. Verse 11, through faith, right? You get the idea, okay? It's all through this chapter, by faith and through faith. So God wants us to be saved by faith, and that's the only way we can be saved. And then he wants us to live by faith. Nothing lasting and nothing that will leave a legacy will be accomplished outside of by faith. If we choose to live our life by sight, we will not leave anything that is lasting or leaves a legacy if we live by sight. We can leave a lot of things by sight, but it won't be important. If we choose to live for eternity and by faith and through faith, we can do something that is eternal, that outlives us, that continues on for the glory of God after we're gone. The Bible says in Revelation that their works do follow them. People who are in heaven tonight who have left something here on this earth by faith and that work continues while they're in heaven and they reap the rewards of a life lived by faith. 
Nothing lasting and nothing that will leave a legacy will be accomplished outside of by faith. Why are the people listed in this faith hall of fame? As we look at Hebrews chapter 11, we can call it the faith hall of fame. Many have. It's because of and only by faith and through faith. What is faith? Faith is believing God and faith is obeying God. It's believing what God says and obeying what God says. Faith is doing what God says, period. Now put a marker here and flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just back a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see a little verse. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Jesus said, have faith in God. Those little verses are so powerful. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 7. Could we read that together? What does it say? For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, they say dynamite comes in small packages, right? Here is a dynamite verse. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So we are saved by faith, and then we are to walk by faith. We don't get saved by sight. We don't get saved by what we see. We get saved by faith in Christ. Our walk is our daily decisions. What does our walk with Christ mean? It means how, how we operate every day, our decisions that we make every day. Our walk is our practical outworking of our faith. It is what we do. How do we make our decisions? You know, you ever get one of those things, you know, I remember before they had them on the phone, they used to stick them on your windshield, right? And it tells you where to go. I'm not talking about your wife in the passenger seat, okay? Uh, <laughs> what do you call that thing, right? They put it on the windshield, right? A GPS, right? Look, there have been times when I, I didn't know where I was. I'm down in New York City somewhere. And, uh, you know, it says turn left. And, and I'm looking at it going, are you sure? Are you sure? And uh, once in a while, one time I, I got brought to the ferry terminal. And uh, <laughs> they wanted me to take a boat to go somewhere. And I thought, no, that's not right. Uh, but, you know, we have, we have a GPS. It's God-provided scripture. That's what we need. GPS. We, we have to say, okay, what does God say I should do in this situation? That is our walk. What do we do? And it also is why we do it. By faith. For we walk by faith. Why do I do that? What am I supposed to do? It is our yes and our no. What do I say yes to? That's faith. I read my Bible and I find out there's some things I'm supposed to be doing. So I need to get busy doing them. I find out there's some other things I'm supposed to not be doing. So I, I should not do them. That is walking by faith. Faith sets our priorities. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Who? God, verse 5, right? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe, number one, that he is, and number two, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there are two parts here. Number one, he is. That is salvation. Number two, we diligently seek him. He rewards me as I diligently seek him. As I live for God, as I obey him, as I have faith to do what he says, it pleases him and he rewards us. My daily obedience is faith. In spite of what the world says. In spite of what the world does. In spite of what is normal. 
You know, the more uh, normal you are today, the more strange you are. Because more people are strange than are not strange. And you look at it and you go, what happened? Uh, where, where, did, did the Martians come? I don't know. Uh, you look around and go, where is everybody? What's, what's going on? And, but I'm going to live by faith. I am going to live by the word of God and do what he says when, when the world says we shouldn't. My daily obedience in spite of what is logical. You know, sometimes faith is not even logical. We look at it and say, what does God say? Well, he says I'm supposed to do this and this. Well, that's not logical because then I'm not going to be able to do this and this. But if God says, okay, obey me, we have to say, okay, uh, I don't understand it. Did these people in Hebrews 11 understand? Did Noah understand the ramifications of a worldwide flood? Did he understand that uh, everyone was going to drown? Did he understand that uh, he was going to be responsible for saving all the animals and, and humankind on the whole planet? Did he understand? That? I don't think he understood the whole, uh, whole concept of everything that was involved with that, but he obeyed. Noah, build an ark. Okay, I'll do it. The more I commit myself to God, the more pleasing I am. You see, some of us need to get all in with God. Some of us need to say, you know what? I'm going to be all in with God. Look at John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, keep a place here, but look at John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus told his disciples and the crowd that was following a great multitude, some hard sayings. And when he got through saying the hard sayings, he looked up and there weren't many people left. And the multitude went away and he was left with 12. And so he asked the question in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Why? Hard sayings. Why? They were offended. Hard sayings. Verse 60. They were offended. And then he said, will ye also go away? Verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the 12, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Peter said, we don't have anybody else to follow. We don't have anybody else who's Christ, the Messiah. We don't have eternal life through anybody else. We don't have a plan B. We have to stay with you. You see, some of us need to get all in with Christ. Some people get offended. Some people hear hard sayings. And they stop walking with Christ and they leave and they don't have faith anymore. Where else can you put your faith with confidence? You know, we look around the world today. Where can you put your faith with confidence? Can you put your faith in the bank? I don't think so. Can you put your faith in, in Wall Street? I don't think so. Can you put your faith in politics? No. <laughs> uh, can you put your faith in, I don't know, just you name it, anything. Where can you put your faith that it's going to be solid? One place you can put your faith in God. Have faith in God. God has never slumbered. God has never slept. God has never sinned. God has never had one variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we can put our faith in God. The Bible says this. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Look at 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Here is Paul, and he is in prison. And he says this in verse number 
12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. That's in the past. And am persuaded. That's in the present. That he is able, that's in the future, to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So here we find that Paul is convinced in his last letter, he has committed himself to Christ. He's committed his soul to Christ. He's committed his salvation to Christ. And he's sitting in prison for preaching the gospel. But he says, I know that God is faithful. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Look what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Paul is saying, God is faithful. 1 Peter chapter 4. And look at verse number 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto, how's God described? A faithful creator. God is faithful. God is a faithful God. God is a faithful creator. When we suffer, God is faithful. You know, it's easy to think, uh, God is faithful when everything's going good. But when everything's not going good, it's sometimes hard to come to that conclusion. God is good. God is faithful. Peter in his suffering said, he's a faithful God. Paul in prison said, he's a faithful God. Now, look at our text in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, don't raise your hand, okay? But I want you to think about something. Don't raise your hand. But in your mind, do you remember the names of Moses' parents? Hmm, that's kind of a hard one sometimes. As we think about Moses' parents, they're mentioned here in verse 23, but not by name. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Whoever these parents were, they were amazing people. Here was an amazing mom and an amazing dad. The Bible tells us that these amazing people, in Numbers chapter 26, verse 58 and 59, are named, come back next week, Amram and Jochebed. Okay, so these are Moses' parents. I know you knew that, right? Amram and Jochebed. Now, we know what Moses did. The Bible tells us what Moses did by faith. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You remember the story? Moses was born and the boys were supposed to be drowned because the Hebrews were living in Egypt and the Egyptians didn't want the Hebrews to raise up an army to, to overthrow them. So they said, all the boys are going to get drowned. And when it came time for Moses to be born, his parents said, oh, no, we are not going to drown him. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have him born and we're going to hide him for three months. Verse 23. Wow. Talk about faith, right? How do you hide a little three-month-old, right? How do you hide a little baby? Wah! 
yeah, they have this like built-in system, right, uh, of crying. And uh, can you imagine hiding a baby uh, in your house for three months and, and not crying? And then finally they got to the point where he was three months old, uh, and then they had to put him out into the river in an ark of bulrushes, and they daubed it with slime. And so they put it out there, and they put Moses in that little, little boat, that little ark, and they put him out in the river, and then Miriam, his sister, is watching him. And now, if you know anything about Egypt, it was the greatest country in the world. It was the richest country in the world. We, we talk about, you know, riches. We talk about people who are billionaires. Well, here in Egypt, they had treasure cities. They didn't have bank vaults. They had treasure cities, Python and Ramses. I mean, they had have cities to keep all their gold in. And so here's Moses, and Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to take a bath. Now, they've studied Egypt and archaeologists and things, and they found, you know, they had the most exquisite, elaborate bathhouses of anywhere in the world at that time. She didn't need to go down to the river to take a bath. She had her own private jacuzzi. But somehow, God sent her down to the river. And right there, she sees this ark and uh, picks it up and Opens it up and there the baby cries. Well, I think God just stuck him with a diaper pin. Wah, you know, and what mother doesn't have compassion on a little baby? And here's this little baby. And she said, oh, it's one of the Hebrew children. And Miriam's probably terrified, right? She runs up and she said, shall I, shall I fetch a nurse for you, right? And she said, yeah, sure. And so she goes and gets Moses' mother. And she said, you know, uh, this lady will take care of this baby. For, oh, I want to adopt this baby, right? Wonderful thing. And uh, so she adopts Moses into Pharaoh's lineage right now he's the grandson of pharaoh and that's what it's talking about here verse 24 so moses grows up in pharaoh's house he's adopted by pharaoh and listen whatever whatever his parents taught him in that little bit of time when they had him it stuck you ever think about that look at verse 24 by faith moses when he was come to years refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter huh. i mean here he is heir to the throne here he is uh, he's the one who could have been persecuting the Hebrews when they tried to leave, right? He's the one who had the uh, heir apparent. I mean, he was the one who had all the gold. He's the one who could control and rule the, the most powerful nation on earth. And he said, you know what? I can't do that. I, it's, not, it's not me. I'm one of them. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. I will, I will cast my lot with the Hebrew people. I will, I will choose rather, verse 25, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Wow, they sure taught him a bunch in that little bit of time they had him growing up as a little boy. Those lessons never left Moses. So important as parents, what you do and what you teach your children. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He said, I'll get paid back. Just not here. I'll get paid back when I get to heaven. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured to seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. Now we think about Moses' parents. And we think about the lessons that they taught him. And we think about what Moses did. What would the history of Israel be without Moses? Without Moses, the first five books of the Bible wouldn't have been penned. God could have used somebody else, but God used Moses. Without Moses, we wouldn't have that. Without Moses, we wouldn't have the law being given. The Ten Commandments, with, that, with all the instructions for the tabernacle. I mentioned this on Wednesday night. Without Moses, we wouldn't have him leading them across the Red Sea. Without Moses, we wouldn't have all those ten plagues. Let my people go, right? Without Moses, 
We wouldn't have the, the manna and the water from the rock and the quail and uh, all the things for 40 years. What would the history of Israel be without Moses? What would Scripture be without Moses? He comes back in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Moses and Elijah. But nothing Moses did would be possible without the faith of his parents. Don't miss this. Our faith determines their future. You know, as a parent, your faith determines the future of your children. Your faith determines the decisions that they'll make. What they instilled in Moses was powerful because he never forgot it. He made decisions himself when he got to age and he said, okay, I'm going to make the right decision because my mother taught me and my father taught me. Moses' parents and their great faith, let me give you several thoughts tonight. Number one, believed in the sanctity of life. Moses' parents believed that a life is important, that every life is important, that their child's life was important, that Moses should not die, Moses should live. Long before our Declaration of Independence said that unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, were given, God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy when you think about our Declaration of Independence. The first thing is life, and that's the thing that so many people want to take away. That's the thing the Democrats want to take away. And they have always vote for abortion all the time. And they, want to, they call it abortion because they don't want to call it murder, but that's what it is. And they want to kill these little babies. And they've killed millions and millions of little babies, 60 million babies since the 1970s. What a shame. What a travesty. We'll answer to God for that. But Moses' parents and their great faith believed in the sanctity of life. God is the giver of life. Every life is precious and every baby deserves to live. A baby is a life, not a choice. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. Did you see that in verse 23? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, we just kind of look at that and go, well, it's not a big deal. But the king was a big deal. Pharaoh was a big deal. If Pharaoh wanted you to die, you would die. If Pharaoh wanted something bad to happen to you, you were all done. Okay? Now, we can fear the king or we can fear the king of kings. Now, when kings, etc., just fill in the blank, whatever you want to put it there, when kings' commandments go against God's word, we have a choice of whom do we obey. Have there been kings' commandments that went contrary to God's word? Well, we have several in the Bible, don't we? Remember Daniel in the matter of prayer? They signed a law. Nobody can pray to anyone except for the king for 30 days. So these three presidents tried to get, uh, you know, Daniel thrown out of office and they couldn't find any dirt on him. They couldn't find anything wrong except that he prayed. And he prayed three times every day with his windows open toward Jerusalem. So they said, well, let's butter up the king. And so they did. They said, king, you're such an amazing guy. We're going to make a law and uh, only people can pray to you for a month. Oh, that's a great law. And the punishment is if they pray to anybody else, they get thrown into the den of lions. He said, where do I sign that? And he signed it. And so they, Daniel, the Bible says, when Daniel knew that the decree was signed, he opened up the windows in his house three times a day toward Jerusalem and he prayed as he did aforetime. Now he had a choice to make. 
He could have said, okay, do I fear the king's commandment? The king wrote a commandment. Or do I fear the king of king's commandment? Well, I'm going to pray. Well, you know, he could have even prayed with his windows closed. God doesn't have to have the windows open to hear you pray. But he didn't change anything he did. He said, you know what? I'm going to pray just like I always have, same time, every day, with my windows open, because I've always done this, and I'm not going to change. And he did. And he was framed. And they threw him into the lion's den, didn't they? And God delivered him. What was Daniel's thought? Well, before uh, it, was, it was written down here, he feared not the king's commandment. How about in Daniel chapter 3? Where the king commanded to worship an image. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were commanded to worship an image made of gold on the plains of Dura, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Bow down and worship the image when you hear all the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. Bow down. They said, oh no, we can't have any graven images. We can't bow down and worship anything. We can't. We can only worship God. So here they are standing all by themselves. Everybody else is bowing down. Well, there they were sticking out like a sore thumb, right? And sure enough, somebody turned them in. They said, we'll give you a second chance. You, you can bow down and worship and, and we won't throw you into the fiery furnace. So we don't need a second chance. You can do anything you want. You can play hopscotch. We are not going to bow down and worship the image. We're going to heat the furnace up seven times hotter. They threw them in. You know, the decree was and the punishment was and they disobeyed the king's commandment. Thank God. When they threw him in, there was a fourth man. I mentioned it this morning. The fourth man was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they, they said we ought to obey God rather than men in the New Testament. They said we don't fear the king's commandment in Hebrews chapter number 11. Now here was the command. Look at Exodus chapter 1. Here was the command. Exodus chapter number 1 and verse number 22. And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Verse 16. Uh, the Bible says here that when Pharaoh asked the midwives, why are the boys not being murdered? If it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Verse 16. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And the one man of the house of Levi took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And I told you, the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey, right? Now you know the rest of the story. So we find that Pharaoh's daughter goes down, sees him, falls in love with him, uh, gets Moses' mother uh, through Miriam to take care of him, to nurse him, and then adopts him. Now, Amram and Jochebed disobeyed the king. Why? Because they had faith in God. It says here that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 his parents saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. They feared God more than the king. We are supposed to fear God more than we fear anyone else. Let me give you a couple of verses to look up. Let's look these up. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. You know, I don't want to get on God's bad side. I want to obey God. I want to please God. I don't want to disobey him in any way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes 
and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Look over to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Wisdom. Wisdom, knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the godly application of knowledge. There are a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge. But wisdom is, how does God want me to apply this knowledge to my life? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the next book. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. And verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. One more, Hebrews chapter 12. We're looking at Hebrews 11, so it's the next page from there. If you kept the marker in it. Hebrews chapter 12. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Did a lot of foolish things. At the end of his life, he said, let me tell you what's important. Fear God and keep his commandments. Just two things to do in life. That's it. If you can boil it all down. Fear God, keep his commandments. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. If you look over to Acts chapter number 5. So they feared not the king's commandment. In Acts chapter number 5, we have the disciples in the early church here in Jerusalem. And the scripture tells us that because of their preaching and preaching the gospel, they were put in prison. They were given an order in verse number 28, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood, Jesus, upon us. Now they were in prison once already. Look at verse 17. In chapter 5 and verse number 17, they had been preaching the gospel. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. God's angel gave them a jailbreak. Verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. An angel is a messenger. Who sent the message? God did. So God said, okay, I'm going to get you out of jail. I'm sending an angel. Now I want you to do the same thing that got you in trouble the first time. You got put in jail for preaching the gospel. And I'm telling you, you're going to get out of the jail and you're going to preach the gospel again. It's exactly what they did. Now here's why they did it. It got them in trouble again. What is their answer? Verse 29. They said, don't, don't, don't preach the gospel anymore. Don't tell us about the name of Jesus. Verse 28. Verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. When the word of God says something and men say something opposite, we have to choose who do we fear and who do we obey. Now, there are a lot of laws. Romans chapter 13 talks a lot about that. And we ought to obey every ordinance of man. You know, there are a lot of laws that I think are dumb laws. Like going 30 miles an hour in your car. Okay, that's a dumb law. Okay, 
But I have to obey that. It's an ordinance event. If it goes down to 10 miles an hour, I'm, I'm supposed to obey that one too. Okay? But there's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt go 95 miles an hour. Okay, there isn't. I've checked. Okay? <laughs> you know, the speedometer says 120. And I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on 30. I think they should just put big guardrails up, keep all the pedestrians off, the bikes off, like a bobsled trail, just whoosh. Can you imagine? I could get to work in three minutes. It would just be incredible. I mean, it would be no, no problem. But I look at that and say, that is a dumb law. But you know what? I need to obey it because it's an ordinance of man. The Bible doesn't say how fast I'm supposed to drive my car. So you know what? They can do that. Look, paying taxes. Oh, my soul. My taxes are like double what they used to be. They're just double. But you know what I do? I pay my taxes. I don't like paying my taxes. I don't like what they use the money for. But you know what? I pay my taxes. Why? The Bible says I'm supposed to obey every ordinance of man. So I, so I do it. And there's consequences if you don't, but God never says. As a matter of fact, Jesus paid his taxes, right? You'd have to have a really big fish nowadays, right? He said, go down, catch a fish. We'll pay the taxes, render under Caesar, that which is Caesar, under God. You have to have a whale, right? A whale full of gold coins to pay your taxes. But anyway, so, so we look at that and say, okay, all right, there's nothing in the Bible about that, so I need to make sure I do that. Now, but when, when God's word says something and men say something opposite, then we have to choose who do we fear and who do we obey? Now look at verse number, well, we can look at it. I skipped it and moved from the passage. But in verse number 40 of Acts chapter 5, they were still beaten. They were still beaten. They obeyed God. They still got beaten. You know, sometimes we look at it and go, well, you know, nothing will happen. Well, something might happen. Uh, eventually, many of them and most of them lost their lives. Now, let me just shift back here to Moses and Moses' parents. What are their names? Amram and Jochebed. Okay. Now, as a parent, let me help you, okay? As a parent, let me help you. Some of you may be parents, maybe future parents, I don't know, but maybe parents, your kids are all grown up, but let me help you. As a parent, the Bible is very clear about raising our children, instructing our children, and teaching them. You can help someone else who's a parent and correcting our children. Now, many of those teachings are directly opposed by the king, by man, by decrees, by commands, etc., who are you going to obey and who are you going to fear when it comes to teaching your children? Deuteronomy 6 says this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. We are supposed to teach God's word to our children. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in Proverbs, that was Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse number 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Bible says, learn not the way of the heathen. Let me say, I wrote this down very, very carefully. There was a day in America when you could send your child off to public school and maybe they would survive and not be turned into a radical. Those days are over. When I went to public school back in the 70s, I was just thinking about this last night and uh, I couldn't go to sleep. I was thinking about it. I'm in sixth grade, okay? Public school, Quintessex school. My dad's here. He'll tell you it's true, okay? Quintessex school, public school. My, I don't know what subject she taught. Miss Campana was her name, okay? She taught, she had a guinea pig. Her guinea pig was named after some, some liberal uh, 
uh, now National Organization of Women person, right? That was the name of her guinea pig. And, uh, and then upstairs, Miss Westfall had a sitting in class, this is sixth grade, had a sitting in class singing with Simon and Garfunkel, like a bridge over troubled waters, you know, about doing drugs and just escaping reality, you know, just all kinds of drug infested, like teaching. I, I had a bunch of hippies that taught me school, right? It's amazing. I'm in a tie-dyed suit up here. And, uh, and then we went, into, uh, went into Mrs. McHugh's room, and she had everybody make album covers, and I can still see it today. Sixth grade, Kiss, right? Rock and roll, you know, all this stuff, album covers. Uh, Freddie Mercury, a sodomite, right? Kiss, Kings and Satanic Service, right? I mean, all these album covers are up all around. I didn't make one. I don't remember how I got out of that, but... Uh, all these rock and roll album covers. And then there's Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee was a draft dodger, a hippie, a maggot-infested, dope-smoking hippie, and he's down the hallway under his desk with a tourniquet on his arm shooting up heroin, one of my teachers, in sixth grade. That was sixth grade. Then I went to seventh grade, and it got a little worse. Then I went to public school, Christian school. I missed out on all of it. But there was a day, that was in the 70s, there was a day in America when you could send your kid, child off to public school and maybe they would survive and not be turned into a radical. Those days are over. Public schools have become citadels of sin. Now, many of you have gone to public school. I went to public school for most of my schooling. I, I saw it. You saw more than I did. But you can tell me the truth that every kind of ugly experiment is perpetrated on our children and it is done under the guise of education. They say, well, you know, don't homeschool your kids because they're going to be weird. And then you go to the public school and they have a litter box for the kids who think they're cats. And they're like, wait a minute, we're weird? You're weird. And they got the furry people and they got the, you know, they have like 64 different pronouns that you're supposed to memorize. No, boy and girl. Okay, male and female. We're not playing the 64 pronouns. Isn't it funny when you get on an airplane, it's still male or female? Isn't that funny? They should come up with the 64. No, they shouldn't. Okay. You would be far better off giving them a Christian education than you would be sending them to a place where God is mocked, where his word is hated, where family values are ridiculed, where Jesus is a curse word, and where deviancy is promoted and encouraged. You would be better off making sacrifices and teaching your children at home than sending them off to those godless, communist, heathen, indoctrination centers called public schools. Now let me go to the last point. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. So they didn't fear the king's commandment. Now you can... You can you don't have to put your children in a public school. There's no law that says your child has to go to public school. It's cheaper. That's why we do it. You know the public schools were started in Massachusetts? And they were started so children could learn to read and they could read the Bible. That's why they were started. The intention was good. To read the Bible. And that's the one book that you can't have there. You can have pornography there, but you can't have the Bible there. You can have Heather Has Two Mommies there, but you can't have the Bible there. You can have all kinds of indecent, wicked literature that is just vulgar and you know should be banned but you can't have the bible there the bible is banned that's wrong proverbs chapter 13 let's talk about disciplining our children right before we go home okay proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 24 he that spareth his rod and hateth his son 
But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. It means they don't get tired of chastening because you are going to get the message through to them that they can't disobey. Verse 13, uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. Um, that's not it. Okay, let's look at the next one. Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. And verse number 15. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, there's verse 13 and 14 I couldn't find, but we'll find them. You can find them. You can look them up. Let me just talk to you a little bit. So some of you know somebody that you could help with this. Maybe you're a parent. You could help with this, okay? Uh, before I became a parent, I knew everything about parenting. I could, I could tell you about parenting. I could, I could teach a class, and I did. I did. I had all the answers, and then we had children. And then I thought, I don't even have all the answers. I don't even know all the questions. <laughs> this is very humbling. This is very, I <laughs> do help. <laughs> but, you know, the Bible here is talking about spanking. Now, spanking is not abusing. Spanking is not hitting. Spanking is right here on the lower posterior of our anatomy. We have a place that is full of fat, okay? There's no bones there. You can't break any bones there. That's where spanking needs to be administered, right on the bottom, okay? So when a little child is uh, disobeying, part of our discipline is maybe you're going to stand in the corner. Part of our discipline is you're going to your room. Part of our discipline is... You're getting grounded. But part of our discipline needs to be the rod of correction. It's in the Bible. Look, lost people spank their children. It's not, again, corporal punishment, last I knew, was not illegal in New Hampshire, okay? Spanking. Now, child abuse is illegal. Excessive force is illegal, okay? Hurting a child, don't ever do that, okay? But, but the lower posterior of the anatomy is where spanking goes, okay? How many times have I been in the grocery store? And the mother said to the child, I'm going to count to three. And they go, one, two, Johnny, come here. And I'm in the next aisle, and I go, three. <laughs> my, uh, my parents spanked me when I grew up. And my dad's here. I love my dad. Matter of fact, I loved him more spanking me than my mother spanking me. Because my mother was a bad shot. You wait till your dad gets home. I'll wait till my dad gets home. Thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, mom, she would just, you know, she, she loved me. She spanked me when I needed it, and I, I deserved it. Probably didn't get enough spankings. Statute of limitations has run out. Okay, I was never abused. I was never hurt. But my bottom got spanked. Okay, and and children need that. Okay, if we're, if if that's not part of our discipline, you know, some kids you can look at them and they cry. Right. Other kids, you got to wear them out a little bit, okay? Not, not excessively, not excessively, okay? Um, I, I probably, I, I, won't, I won't confess my sins, okay? But, but that's part. So, so the idea here is they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Oh, you know, if I spank my children, the state's going to take them away. Try it. Try it. You're, you're disciplining them by the Bible, Okay, now if you're abusing your child, that's a whole nother ball of wax. It should never, ever be done. It should never be done in anger. It 
should never be done, uh, you know, just out of uh, impulse. Should we not go to room? Okay, I'm going to cool down. <laughs> You're going to cool down. Sometimes that's the worst thing. My wife will tell me. <laughs> I wonder your dad's back there, right? Hi. Uh, the worst part was just waiting for the spanking, right? Oh, no, what's going to happen an hour later, right, when he finally cools down? And, uh, <laughs> but, but here, here we go. That's, that's the thought. So, so don't, don't neglect correcting your children the Bible way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this.